welcome back everyone to the humility and arrogance podcast this is our third episode ever i am half of your hosts tony beard and joined as always by the other half maybe not better maybe more humble half uh, will verdon well i am so glad to see you today to speak with you i have a question to ask you what is your favorite fall activity tony great question it is fall uh this is my favorite time of year my favorite season is fall and my favorite activity uh, tony is eating as much pumpkin spice things as i possibly can i love pumpkin spice drinks love pumpkin spice food except for pumpkin pie i can't stand pumpkin pie I love everything else pumpkin. So do you sit uh, with your big fall hat and scarf and a sweater and just sit by the fire, your pumpkin spice latte? Is that is that Will Verdon? That does sound very picturesque, but no, I I'm more of the uh, UTV riding pumpkin spice out the window, jumping over things uh, fall type of guy. You know, I don't think that's a thing. Mm, for me, it is. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're talking about manhood today. What about you? Uh, What's your favorite fall fall activity? Uh, I mean, aside from the pumpkin spice. Um, well, as you know, I'm not the biggest hunter out there, but I do enjoy hunting. Uh, so here in Pennsylvania, hunt some pheasants on occasion. There's not many of them in Pennsylvania. Um, so I'll get hunting. Uh, and But really, honestly, favorite fall activity? Penn State football. Penn State football is where it's at. Undefeated so far, far 4-0. A uh, couple weeks away from the big game against Michigan. So we'll see what happens. But they're looking pretty good this year. We have some great freshmen on the team. Okay, so your prediction, how they end up? How they end up? Yeah. You know, I think there's only two teams on our schedule that scare me. And that's Michigan and Ohio State. So... I what would that be? How many games do we have? I think that would be I'm predicting eleven and two record. I think we have thirteen games on the schedule. Um I have okay, another tough game again. We do have a tough game against <laughs> We do have a game against Minnesota as well as Michigan State. Those ones will be tough, but I think Michigan and Ohio State are the only ones that'll beat us. All right. So what I was gonna say is ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna stop back in at the end of the season and see if you're a prophet. Yeah, the gift of prophecy has, I don't know, that's another episode. Let's not get into that. <laughs> today, well, brother, what are we talking about today? Today we are continuing our conversation on church and manhood. So we talked about the Imago Dei uh, last time, and today we want to talk more about complementarianism and egalitarianism. Uh, those so those are our big words. But let's back up one spot. You are the resident theologian in this mm -hmm. podcast. So could but, you, in this podcast you are, um, biblically, what are the major differences between men and women? Yeah, so let's first of all go back to the Word of God. We know that the Word of God within the opening chapters of Scripture, we see that God in his wisdom and his providence he complete, he created two sexes, 
right? Male and female. And so what we would say, again, as we said last week, we believe that both male and female have uh, equal value, equal worth. They're both created in the image of God. And so they both have value. They are both uh, ordained, directed, elected, chosen, saved um, the same way by the grace and mercy of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, they both, again, have equal value in the eyes of God. Uh, we would say, again, as we split these two, two up, egalitarianism and complementarianism, egalitarianism would say that God created male and female uh, as equals, not just in, in worth and in value, but in all respects. Uh, so making no distinction between their roles, making no distinction between woman and man in as so far as both are equally made in his image and both are given the same responsibility to rule over his creation. Again, so egalitarianism would say that both male and female are created equal in all ways, in all ways. There's not a distinction between their roles, where complementarianism would say that there's a distinction between roles. There's male and female were created by God as equal in dignity, as we said, equal in value, in essence, in human nature, but they would also argue that they have distinct roles, whereby there is a unique role given to male and a unique role given to female. And uh, we can talk a little bit about that, but I think, brother, I think we see that very clearly in the opening chapters of Genesis. I think we see that very clearly, first and foremost, in, in Genesis chapter 2, um, which we can discuss a little bit later. But what are, what are your thoughts with that, with those distinctions between egalitarianism and complementarianism? Yeah, I would say, you know, when we're talking about those distinctions, we're talking about um, certainly, certainly church roles and authority, uh, as well as roles within the family. Um, and it as you said, it's not um, doesn't change the worth of either individual. But it sure seems like as we read scripture, as you point out, just from Genesis alone, that there has been a, man was specifically created and then woman was specifically created. So not not even that one came first and the other came second, although I, I think there's that that matters, but the fact that both were distinctly created by God on purpose shows that there is some complementing worth there, that they are going to be working together to praise God, working together to worship God, working together to raise families to do the same. Uh, and I think when we erase those differences, you know, we wind up with uh, churches that are are hurting families that are hurting. I, I do think it's going against God's created order mm -hmm. to erase those differences. And I, th I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame because uh, God has made man and has made woman again specifically and, and to go uh, against his uh, design for each one. It just seems like we're, we're putting a, a separation between each other as man and woman we're putting a separation between us and god uh, that doesn't need to be there yeah brother that's a great point and, and and to elaborate on that 
we are we know that as we are created in the image of God, we are most right when we are in right relationship with God. We are at a fullest. We are living our best life now when we are in right relationship with God. Right. And so anything outside of the biblical constraints of what scripture dictates as what's appropriate in, in our relationship with God um, hinders our relationship. Right. Anything that we do outside of what scripture dictates for us to do, anything that we do, any order of the hierarchy within marriage or the family or the church, anything that's outside the realms of scripture is is uh, breaking and severing or, or hindering that relationship with God. And again, I do believe very early on, God clearly dictates to us that order. Just four quick things from uh, Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, we see four things. Number one, the order of creation. To your point, God created male first. This indicates God's design of male priority in the male-female relationship. Not only is that found in Genesis chapter two, it's also found in 1 Corinthians 11 and in 1 Timothy uh, 2.13. Right. So we see this echo throughout the Old and New Testament. Number two, God gives clear instructions to Adam before the creation of Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree. This forbidden fruit, uh, God didn't tell Eve. But we see very clearly in Scripture that God told Adam not to eat of this fruit, which then places that responsibility upon Adam not to have Eve or to inform Eve not to eat of this forbidden fruit. Uh, number three, Eve was created to be Adam's helper. We see this consistently without, throughout Scripture. This, this Hebrew term is often used of, God's, of God helping his people. And so we see scripturally that Eve was created to help Adam. And lastly, I think it's very important, again, to, uh, to show uh, that Adam was actually the one that names Eve which that clearly indicates in the Old Testament cultural context that Adam has a right over Eve, right? That's, that's one way that we name our children, right? We name our children as showing that we have authority over them. And so we see that consistently throughout the Old Testament. That's why God gives the Old Testament patriarchs new names. God is indicating to them that he has the authority over them. And so that then, again, is, is within that cultural context, indicating that Adam has authority over, over Eve. And that's just in one place there in Genesis chapter 2. Yeah. Now, we didn't talk about this in advance, but I think you'll be able to speak to it. Uh, one common objection to complementarianism uh, is taken from Galatians 3.28. And I think this is you know, taken out of context or not fully understanding it, but the objection that the the passage read, reads, there is neither Greek, uh, Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. I've heard that passage used to speak against complementarianism. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I see you can, uh, you're pulling out scripture, put it in context, it's always a... Yeah, that's... Uh, that's really concerning that they would use that as an argument because that's not Paul's argument at all. Paul's argument is, look, we are in Christ, right? We are we are now considered children of God. And so he, he says that um, back in chapter three, um, he's talking about this, the law and the promise, right? And then he's going to talk about this offspring. And he's going to talk about the sons and heirs. And specifically, he's going to make the distinction that we are now 
as um, as believers in Jesus Christ, as Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we are now heirs of God to the point where we can cry out in verse 6, Abba, Father. And because you are sons, verse 6, that doesn't mean it's just males. That means uh, males and females. Because you're children, because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So he's making this clear distinction that that's our equal ground. Our equal ground is that you're no longer a slave or a Jew uh, or a Gentile or a male or a female. We're all in Christ. We're all now one unified in Christ. We're now heirs of God through Christ. So that's what he is he's calling out. That's the distinction. It's of salvation, not in uh, male and female roles. Right. That's a good explanation, especially on the spot, because I didn't tell you I was going <laughs> to toss that out there. But I have seen that one used, and, and in many cases, you know, when we have discussions or arguments with folks who um, trying to use the Bible, it's easy to start cherry picking what you did there. I love it. Put it in context. You always have to take that passage, put it in context. What's the, what's the saying? I can do all things through a Bible verse taken out of context. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like Jeremiah 20. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so continue on this conversation. Why? You know, I look at egalitarians egalitarianism it seems like everyone is on the same page they don't have many intra egalitarianism arguments but i'll be honest with you when it comes to people who profess or claim to be complementarians there seems to be a lot of arguments in house they all kind of seem grumpy with each other at times and i've kind of come to the conclusion that's because when it comes to egalitarianism it's easy there, there, there's no uh, distinctions to be made. Everyone is on the same page. But in complement with complementarianism, there seems to be some arguments and disagreements about what those distinctions are. So broadly, complementarianism would say that, you know, again, equal value, but different roles. But we seem to be in arguments sometime on what those different roles are. Uh, can a uh, uh, can a woman ever preach? What setting may a woman teach? Uh, what is biblically acceptable? Uh, what is uh, you know? There would be some people who would take um, uh, some tenets of this and become legalistic with it and say, "Well, a woman should never work out of the house." You know that that seems to be taking it beyond what Scripture would say. Uh, what what's how how should we start? determining what is uh, uh, the biblical role like where what passages would we start with and what would we say this one's clear there's some wiggle room here um yeah just take that and run there's a question in there somewhere that you can figure out we've been friends long enough you know where I'm yeah at. so I, I like how you first of all said yeah, scripture right that's our foundation the reason why egalitarianism is easy is because it's of the world because it's contrary to the word of god and it's easy to be culturally accepted. It's easy to go of the world. It's easy to, to say that, you know what, everybody, we're on the same plane. We're, we're all of equal parts. There, there is no distinction in roles. That's what society is saying, brother. The world is saying that, 
you know, of course you do you, right? And, and your truth is your truth and that's all that matters. And so there is no objective truth. It, well, we know that the foundation is on the word of God. And we, so when we go to the word of God, this is hard, right? We don't read the word, we have the word read us, right? Our, we, we allow the word to transform our thoughts and our actions and our desires. So what does the word of God say? The word of God clearly makes that distinction between what is right and what is wrong. And we see the distinct roles throughout scripture, starting in Genesis all the way to Revelation. Now I will say to your point, uh, egalitarianism is easy because it's the way of the world. It's what the culture is saying. It sounds culturally relevant. So of course that's easy. Complementarianism is hard because there's nuances, right? Mm -hmm. Paul says for women to wear a head covering. Well, is that cultural or is that still an expectation within the church? Uh, Paul says that women should remain quiet in, in, in a service. Well, is that, again, cultural? Is that for that specific church? Is that for us now? So what does that look like for women to remain silent church? So there's some, there's some kind of nuances in how it plays out within the role, within the current context of the church, that might be even different than the role that we see in the family. Do I think it would be appropriate for women to be in the workplace? Yes, very much so. Do I think it's appropriate for women to be leaders within the workplace? Yes. Do I think it's appropriate for women to be the main breadwinner in the church or, or in, the, in the home? Yes, I think that's fine. I, I don't think there's anything within the context of the household. Do I think that it's okay for men to do the majority of the housework? Yes. I don't think that distinguishes or diminishes their role within the home. However, I will say that scripturally, we do see the man having the responsibility of the spiritual head of the family. Do I think that the man should have full responsibility of driving the family to church and making sure that they're sitting on a sound teaching and praying with the family and leading the family in worship? Yes, I think that should be the, the role. Do I think it should be the man's role to protect the wife and to do everything he can to sacrifice his needs for the, the benefit of his family? Yes, if someone has to sacrifice, I think it should be the man who sacrifices. Uh, within the church context, I think Paul makes it very clear. I think it's, again, within the order of scripture, uh, the, the order of creation, that we see that the, the head of the church is Christ. But under Christ, as far as leadership within the church, is a man. And, and that we see clearly in, in 1 Timothy and Titus, where we see the distinction of, a, of an elder, as a shepherd, as a leader. Where we see that it is the responsibility of a man to lead the church. And I believe that takes into every context that we would consider authoritative teaching. Pulpit ministry is authoritative teaching. This is what the word of God says. And in that context, leading the church does need to be a man. And I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, it absolutely does. That was very good there. Um, you know, as we think about some of these areas where, um, whether it's churches, yeah, let's just go with churches, where uh, some congregations where women have stepped up and taken certain leadership roles, whether that's as a preacher or as an elder. Do you think, I mean, certainly part of that is poor teaching, poor exegesis or, uh, of the of scripture. How much do you think it's also a cause of men not fulfilling Know, that spiritual headship role, because as we you know, we read Ephesians, 
chapter five, it's easy to hear that word submit to your own husbands and people get, you know, really anxious over hearing that. But as you continue on down to 25, it should be a little more scary for men because husband love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, as much as we might not want to hear about submission, the call to men is to lay down our lives. You know, the, to the extent that Christ loved the church is how we as husbands are supposed to love our our wives. So the response, there seems to be a lot of responsibility on men. So as we take a look at some of these churches, denominations that have uh, kind of brought on women preachers, women preaching, how much of that do you think is starts with bad exegesis and how much of that is a response to men not fulfilling their responsibility yeah 100 100 <laughs> <laughs> i think first and foremost yeah it's very poor exegesis it's very poor uh, understanding of the word of god in, in fact i would say it's, it's completely contrary to the word of god yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna go out and say this pretty strongly I don't think that you are a God-honoring church if you have a woman pastor. I, I don't think so. I, I don't see that biblically and scripturally because you're not being obedient to scripture. And your second point, yeah, I, I believe that we have created a culture of wimps, of wimpy men who fail to take up the, the mantle of being the spiritual head and a, a godly man. I, I hear that consistently from, from single women. Uh, pastor, I... I, I want to marry. I want to marry a man, but but there doesn't seem to be any godly men out there. And, and yes, it's very true. I, I think we are lacking godly men. And I think that's Romans one. I think that's a Romans one culture where we are raising men who are not leading the church, who are not who do, who's, who don't see a need to be in the church first first and foremost, who don't see a need to lead within their church, let alone their own families, Tony, let alone their own families who are lacking that spiritual leadership. And so I do see women stepping up and saying, well, if they're not going to lead, I'm going to lead. And, and in some respects, yeah, if you're in the home setting and your mother and your husband is not raising the children in accordance with the word of God and not being the spiritual leader, yes, you need you have that responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, but within the church context, if we rightly submit to Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, then we see that role of being obedient to what he says and how he has ordained the church. And that is with a spiritual um, male leadership. Yeah. And I think talking about like the next generation. So obviously I, I, I work with college students. There's, you know, we see more men in general, young men uh, you know, addicted to pornography, uh, young men who are not necessarily looking for marriage. But then I come across the young men who love Jesus, who love going to church and want to be that godly example. And they just they just shine. It's like that it's that light on the hill almost when you come across these young men who who take studying scripture seriously, who who understand there's certain responsibilities that they will have as uh, as a future husband and a, a future father. Um, so it's. We hear a lot about the next generation, how uh, terrible things are, and certainly there's some there's reasons for concern. But I also I see the young men who are pursuing 
being pursuing godly manhood and and want to get it right and they just they stand head and shoulders above their peers because of it praise the lord right and that that's a promise in scripture right the the lord will build his church the mm -hmm. lord is building his church through these godly men so we're not done with this topic yet but switching it a little bit so you and i agree that you know complementarianism is what scripture defines what it describes how things are supposed to work that god has created man and woman with equal worth but have have given uh different roles in church and in family we were talked about this a little bit but um what happens to you know that biblical view uh, that accurate complementarian view when there are men specifically out there who abuse that authority, who abuse, you know, the headship that they're supposed to have, who who use it to uh, silence women, who use it to uh, uh, verbally or physically abuse wives. You know, what what would you have? You mentioned counseling a little bit, but what when you see that abuse of complementarism, abuse of what God has given the church? What's your response to that? So. You're right. Unfortunately, within the church, within the context of the church, it, it has been abused. And I, I've seen it most first and foremost when uh, husbands take the, uh, you know, the verse in in Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, about wives being submissive to their husbands out of context. Right. I never start there as a counselor, as a pastor. I never start there. I always go back to, first of all, what did you just read? Have you read anything else of Ephesians in, in Ephesians? What about going back to uh, Ephesians chapter four, about verse 31, about let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you among, along with all malice. And thir verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ have forgave you. And then chapter five, verse one, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God, right? So you so quickly, husband, want to jump to Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. My wife needs to be submissive to me. But have you been fulfilling what you are called to do as a husband? Have you read verse 23? Have you submitted, have you loved your wife and to be submissive and, and, and as you're submissive to the Lord? We read verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its savior. Now, as much as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands are called to love their wives. Many times in my counseling sessions, I'll ask a husband, you know, uh, um, you talk about submitting to the to loving your 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 uh, your your wife. Would you? Um, would you die for your wife? Would you take a bullet for your wife? Right? You're called to be like Christ, to die for your wife. Would you take a bullet? And I, I've never had any husband ever say, no, I want to do that. Then I asked, well, would you put down your own preferences? What about your own desires? Would you serve your wife? Would you be willing to come home from a long day from work and instead of going sitting on the couch watching TV, would you be willing to give up your own preference and serve your wife instead? listen to her, talk with her, and love her? 
you, you see, everyone wants to jump to, of course, I would be willing to die physically for my wife. That's easy to do. But would you willing to give up your own desires, your own preferences? Would you willing to sacrifice for your wife and show her that you love her, right? What way do we see love in scripture, right? We, we often say love, um, love has action, right? Has feet, has hands. We see how Jesus loved his disciples by washing their feet by serving them. That's how we know that we love somebody. How, how have you served your wife recently? And, and so I think the problem becomes a very, it becomes a, a twisted um, construct of complementarism when the male is only focusing on what the role of women is supposed to do and not their own role, right? And so that's where it's been abused within the church. It's been abused within the church when men have taken like verses like this in, in Hebrew in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 and have turned it into a weapon to destroy their wife and to belittle their wife and to exert a right that they actually don't deserve. Mm-hmm. That's good. I was trying to uh, quickly pull what I think is a G.K. Chesterton quote, but I couldn't find it, but as essentially saying, you know, everyone is willing so most people are, would say, yes, I'm willing to die for my faith, uh, but they're not necessarily willing to suffer for their faith. So same concept and the idea, would you take a bullet for your wife? Well, of course, but will you set aside your preferences? Will you set aside, you know, the things you want to prioritize? You know, coming home from a long day at work, uh, wanting to sit down, watch TV instead of leading the family in uh, a family devotion reading scripture and praying together. Uh, I mean, that's setting aside one's own desires to lead the family. Um, no, no good transition here, but what about John Wayne, man? Have you ever watched the John mm. Wayne movie? Do you like any of his movies? So I'm going to be vulnerable with you now for a moment, brother, but I've never seen an entire John Wayne movie. Not one. I... Did not know that about you. I hope that this doesn't ruin our friendship. I mean, at 20, 20 whatever years now, no, but uh, it is disappointing to hear. That's for sure. Not the man who shot Liberty Valance. Never seen that. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll be interested. I'll watch something. What's your recommendation? What would be the top movie for me to watch? I'll have to think through which one you would like. The man who shot Liberty Valance is pretty much perfect that has jimmy stewart in it too who is an incredible incredible actor uh but there's a couple others uh the cowboys is a favorite and rio grande rio grande is probably my favorite so uh, I've, but never anyways, seen, I've never seen these movies but from what i hear john wayne is like the man's man like if you're going to be a man if you, your image of a man a, a manly man would be john wayne is that right oh absolutely there is no manlier man ever to man than john the man wayne so is that our role model should we aspire to be the next john wayne there are many things you and i could learn from watching a john wayne movie however john wayne is not our uh, perfect example of manhood uh, 
we're, we're joking about this. Uh, people listening may have heard of this book, Jesus and John Wayne. Neither one of us have read it yet. I look forward to digging into it eventually. But what it does is it essentially compares this, um, especially evangelical or American evangelical view of manhood uh, through the lens of John Wayne, right? That this is what it means to be uh, a man in our country. And again, there are a lot of great, we, we could learn things from John Wayne movies and how he stands up for what's right and how he's not afraid to, um, you know, put himself in harm's way to protect others. But, but that is not where you and I should be uh, pulling what it means to be a man. And I was sharing with you a little bit before we got started here. I've been thinking through this idea, you know, we hear the term alpha male, right? This idea of the man who, who never submits, who never, uh, uh, lowers himself, the man who always takes charge, the man who's always just getting what he wants. And I think that would be an incorrect view, a non-unbiblical view of manhood. But then we also have what's often referred to as the beta male, the beta male who is kind of lesser, who's unafraid to, who is afraid to step up, who uh, isn't going to necessarily put his voice out there, who's afraid to lead, who is uh, who who doesn't think that there's a role for him to play when it comes to this con- conversation as far as male versus female leadership. So we have this alpha male that becomes too like hyper masculine. Mm. We have this beta male that lacks ma- masculinity. I would argue we then have a Christos male. So alpha, beta, both wrong. Christos, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is our example of what it means to be a man. We see a man who is kind and compassionate, but also a man unwilling to uh, sacrifice truth for uh, convenience. Very clearly through God's word, beyond the gospels, we've been talking a lot about Paul's letters of, you know, this inspired these inspired uh, books of the Bible that also kind of expand and teach on what it means to be, um, you know, a husband, what it teach, t- means to be a leader in the church. And, and I think if we ever pursue alpha, like the pursue being an alpha male, I think that's wrong for the Christian man. If we pursue and want to be a beta male, which I don't know many people who want to be a beta male, uh, you just kind of wind up that way. Uh, no, that's wrong too. You know, very clearly, you know, we can get uh, into this idea of third wayism, which I know people don't necessarily love. But when it comes to this conversation of masculinity, if we're putting out there this hypermasculine uh, view or this, you know, unmasculine view, there's really is a third way, and that's pursuing what Christ did uh, to love His church and to care for. Um, you know, those around him to uh, see and value people in, in society who uh, the religious leaders wanted to overlook or push aside. You know, there's certainly a better example that comes from Jesus Christ and looking at anyone else in the world when it comes to manhood or uh, frankly, any any topic, any issue. Great point, brother. Great point. We we do see kind of glimpses of, to your point, kind of both of those, right? We see that Jesus is 
um, going into the temple and clearing everybody out. Clearly, uh, he showed some alpha male tendencies, right? But if we just looked at that one picture and not looked at the picture that he's also gentle and lowly, then we might think that he was just gentle and lowly, right? But we see this, this perfection of he has this um, persona, this personality, this character of, of him that's truly, um, you know, truly a perfect balanced in his 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 ability to call out uh, people in sin but his ability also so gentleness and forgiveness to those in sin and so um clearly he he is the one we are to aspire to sorry brother not john wayne we too are, are to aspire to the image of christ well that's fine i still think you should watch some john wayne movies and frankly i think you're a beta male for the fact that you haven't watched any well, at least I'm humble, brother. At least I'm humble. <laughs> All right. As we start wrapping up this conversation, uh, as always, you and I love books. So here we are talking about this idea of manhood, of womanhood, uh, complementarianism, egalitarianism. Are there any books that you would recommend uh, on this topic that takes a look at it scripturally? And if not, or if you're trying to think of one, I got a few in front of me here. I'm thinking about one specifically I just read recently called The Masculine Mandate. Um, it's very good. Uh, talk about manly man. This 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 author, uh, Richard Phillips, was actually a, a tank commander in the army. So, um, you know, he has that experience, but he's also has the heart of a pastor because he's also a pastor. So I highly recommend that. It's some really good practical, practical book on um, some practical outworking of what it means to be a godly man. Uh, and so I highly, highly recommend that book. Very easy to read and and very good. What about you, brother? What what do you recommend? Yeah, so I try to make a habit of not rec recommending books that I've never read. However, there is one writer who I will always make an exception, and that's Kevin DeYoung. Kevin DeYoung is an incredible writer where he can take any topic, it seems like, write a very thoroughly biblical book on that topic and have it be very accessible. He's done this on the Ten Commandments. He's done this on homosexuality, on the Bible, on holiness. Well, one of his newer books is called Men and Women in the Church, and I have skimmed it. I have not yet read it cover to cover, but again, uh, taking a very biblical approach uh, of the distinctions and what he does, in, like he did uh, in his book on homosexuality, he he looks at the scriptures that address these issues. So he's going to be in Genesis 1 through 3 like we did today. Uh, he's going to talk about Jesus and the Gospels. He's going to take on that 1 Corinthians 11 2, uh, through 16 passage, Ephesians 5, as we just mentioned, uh, 1 Timothy 2. Like He takes on those passages, putting them in context and saying this is why we believe what we believe. So uh, highly recommend that book. Again, have not yet read it, but uh, I will very soon so uh wow we've been recording for almost an hour brother i thought we were going to keep our podcast to like 30 minutes or 40 minutes i think you have a lot to say i think you talked more than me anyway i want to well thank both our listeners or if we're up to three that's pretty cool too but we want to thank everyone for spending time listening to us uh we would love for folks who listen to this enjoy it to uh, share this podcast, get others listening. We do have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. 
uh, take the take a look at those. You know, download the episode. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, certainly give us a, a five star w- rating. We would love that. If you give us a one star rating, why are you listening? Uh, but we would love for you to help us get the word out. Um, next time, we will be continuing our church and manhood discussion, our part three, and we're going to be taking a look at how churches have failed men. Um, and, and what churches, what pastors, what church leaders can do about it. So, brother, thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed our conversation as always. Even if no one else is listening to it, I just love talking through these issues with you. I learn every time we talk. Same here, brother. I always appreciate you, and I look forward to hearing your recommendations for John Wayne movies I should watch. All right, will do. All right, until next time. God bless.